Support for this podcast and the following message come from Wise, the app that makes managing your money in different currencies easy. With Wise, you can send and spend money internationally at the mid-market exchange rate. No guesswork and no hidden fees. Learn more about how Wise could work for you at wise.com. This year's Nobel Peace Prize was announced today with three winners, all human rights activists and organizations. They're from Ukraine, Belarus, and Russia. Here is Barrett Rice Anderson, chairperson of the Norwegian Nobel Committee, announcing the award. The three nations they represent are neighbors, and their civil societies have a joint understanding of the values that they want to promote. Well, joining us now to talk about the winners are NPR's Yulian Haida in Kiev and NPR's Charles Maines in Moscow. Hey to both of you. Hi there. Hi there. So, Charles, I want to start with you because Russia again, right? Like last year, the co-winner of this award was the editor of an independent Russian newspaper. This year, the Russian human rights group Memorial is the winner or one of the winners. Can you talk about this group? Yeah, sure. You know, Memorial emerged uh, in the late Soviet era as part of a public effort, really, to document Stalinist-era crimes. This is when millions of Soviet citizens were sent to the prisons, uh, to the gulag. Uh, Yet it was the organization's work documenting human rights abuses in the new Russia that really put Memorial increasingly at odds with Vladimir Putin's Kremlin. In, in 2021, just last year, the organization was liquidated for allegedly violating the government's foreign agents law. Hmm. Uh, a parallel case found its human rights wing guilty of promoting terrorism. Uh, Memorial insists both trials were politically motivated and has continued its work uh, despite a crackdown at home that's intensified amid the conflict in Ukraine. And that's why this award matters, says Memorial member Svetlana Ganushkina, who was cited by the Nobel Committee today as an early supporter of Memorial's work. It's a so here Ganushkina calls the award a show of solidarity and an acknowledgement that not all Russians are bad and that there are those, in fact, Russians who are against the war in Ukraine. Hmm. And Yulian, you're in Kiev, where another winner, the Center for Civil Liberties, is from. What do we know about that group? Well, the group was founded in 2007, and that was a time when Ukraine's government was rife with abuse and corruption. Just a couple years prior to that, Ukraine had a really big protest movement, and some people wanted to move their activism from the streets into offices to kind of formalize it. Mm. The Center for Civil Liberties was a tangible way that lawyers and human rights activists could work year-round. And that came really in handy when Ukraine got its next big protest movement just a few years later. Their work has taken a really big turn, though, since Russia invaded Ukraine in 2014. Instead of holding their own government accountable, they're now turning their attention to Russia. I talked to Yuri Belarus, a human rights attorney in Kyiv, who's helped the center document Russian war crimes. He says here that documenting war crimes is a vital preventative measure to further war. It's also a well-deserved, albeit safe, peace prize choice. And what's been the larger reaction in Kyiv to this award? Surprisingly controversial. It's the first time that a Ukrainian person or group has ever won a peace prize. And there's a great deal of pride in that fact. But there's also a lot of criticism from the president's office on down to social media that say that the Nobel Committee's joint peace prize unfairly lumps together Ukraine, Belarus, and Russia and adopts a lot of the same discourse about neighbors and common struggles that Vladimir Putin also has used to justify Ah, this war. Yes. 
Yeah. Mikhail Podolyak, a top advisor to Ukraine's president, said that Russian or Belarusian activists don't deserve a peace prize because they weren't able to mount an effective anti-war movement in their own countries. Of course, that's because domestic repression at home doesn't really allow for that. And in fact, a lot of Belarusian activists have sought refuge in Ukraine. Well, speaking of Belarus, Charles, can you talk about the Nobel Peace Prize winner from there? Because he's the sole individual recipient this year, right? Yeah, that's right. This is Ares Polyatsky. He emerged a key figure in the pro-democracy movement in Belarus starting in the 1980s. Uh, he eventually founded Vyasnya. This is uh, the word means spring in Belarusian. It's an organization that documents human rights abuses and monitors elections. Now, there have been many of the former and too few of the latter in Belarus under strongman Alexander Lukashenko's rule. He's been in power since 1994. Uh, and yet in interviews, Bolyatsky never seems to lose hope, as you can hear. So here Bolyatsky says in an interview with Deutsche Welle's Russian service uh, that he's convinced democracy and human rights will ultimately prevail in Belarus, arguing otherwise he wouldn't have fought for it all those years. Now, Belyatsky has been in and out of prison for his activities. In fact, he's currently in jail uh, on what are widely believed to be trumped-up charges of tax evasion. So when I reached out to Belyatsky's colleagues at Vesna, they weren't even sure if he knew he'd actually won the Nobel Prize yet. Uh, either way, his colleague, Vesna's Natalia Sansukevich, says it's well-deserved and overdue. Because I remember five times a nominee, and finally he's a winner, and... Uh, My first thought was, like, finally. So, Charles, you know, as we noted earlier, the award to the Russian organization is, like, the second year in a row that we have seen a Nobel Peace Prize given to a perceived Kremlin critic. And it just so happens that this is President Vladimir Putin's 70th birthday today, right? How much of a coincidence do you think that is? Well, certainly the early reaction from, let's call it, official Moscow has been subdued. You know, lawmakers here say are saying that the Nobel Committee has discredited itself by injecting politics into the decision. Uh, but the Nobel Committee's chair was asked directly, was this a message for Putin on his birthday, no less? And she argued the prize fundamentally wasn't about him. We always give a prize for something and to somebody and not against anyone. Okay, well, finally, a question for both of you. What does it say that the Nobel Peace Prize went in a way to this whole region instead of to just one person or one organization? What do you think? Well, you know, to to me, it tells us that the committee sees what's happening in these countries as critical to the future of Europe, if not the world. And the recipients come from countries that are all in their own way uh, grappling with the legacy of the collapse of the Soviet Union, uh, reflected most painfully uh, in the conflict in Ukraine, but also in these increasingly autocratic and authoritarian governments in Russia and Belarus. Uh, but make no mistake, you know, this is the second year in a row where oppression of speech and thought uh, and, and truth in Vladimir Putin's Russia is in the Nobel spotlight. And of course, Belarus has similar problems under Alexander Lukashenko. Yeah, but in some ways, Ukraine sees itself as having graduated from some of those repressions and fear that consume societies in Russia and Belarus. Since the 2014 revolution, Ukrainian civil society has really succeeded at a lot of the liberal democratic reforms that people elsewhere dream of. And now they need to keep that democracy alive. So unlike before, when domestic repression defined Ukraine, this time the threat to human rights is coming from the outside. That is NPR's Yulian Haida in Kiev and NPR's Charles Maines in Moscow. Thank you to both of you. Good to be with you. Thank you. This message comes from NPR sponsor Stearns & Foster. 
Every Stearns & Foster mattress is handcrafted for irresistible comfort, with indulgent memory foam and ultra-conforming IntelliCoils for your most comfortable sleep. Learn more at StearnsAndFoster.com. Support for this NPR podcast and the following message come from Amgen, a biotechnology pioneer leading the fight against the world's toughest diseases such as cancer, heart disease, asthma, and osteoporosis. In a new era of human health, Amgen continues to accelerate the pace of change, operating sustainably and drawing upon deep knowledge of science to push beyond what's known today. With each decade, they reliably deliver powerful new therapies to patients. Learn more at Amgen.com. Listening to the news can feel like a journey, but the 1A podcast guides you beyond the headlines and cuts through the noise. Listen to 1A, where we celebrate your freedom to listen by getting to the heart of the story together, only from NPR. NPR.